0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning on this beautiful fall day. Um, we are coming to the end today of a series we've been in now for eight weeks called Jesus Listens, Sharing Jesus the Way Jesus Did. By the way, if you are new here today and you find that you want to check out the rest of the series or maybe you missed a couple of the sermons along the way, we put all of our sermons online at ccefc.org audio. You can jump on there and grab the sermon or even find a way to podcast it so you can take it with you. Well, so far, we've spent seven weeks seeing how Jesus interacts with people from all different walks of life and how every single time his first move is to listen, to really hear what it is they're trying to say to him. And I really want us to get this ratio. Seven weeks of listening lead us to one week of speaking. If we're going to share Jesus the way Jesus did, it is essential for us to spend the vast amount of time listening to the people we're engaging with, seeking to care for them and hear from them. But after that time, there does come the one week where it's time for us to speak. So today, we'll be looking at what to say when it's time to say the one thing. If you came to church this morning just to check us out, Um, if you don't call yourself a Christian but you're here with a friend or um, just happen to be passing by, you picked a great weekend to come because you get to just take a pass on applying this message. But you also get to just listen in on what the crux of what we do here, what the most important thing is for us. So we're really glad you're here. But for the rest of us who call ourselves Christians today, we're going to look at being equipped to say the one thing when it's time to say the one thing it's really important to be prepared for that because sharing Jesus can be scary. Maybe you've had an experience like I had. When I was in seminary, I took a class called Intro to Evangelism, and every single student in my degree had to take that class. And so the first day of the class, they hand out the syllabus, and it lists all the homework on it that we have to do. And I'm kind of scanning it. How many pages do I need to read? How many papers do I need to write? And my eyes fall upon this one assignment. Every student will have nine evangelistic conversations and then journal about it and turn in the journal at the end of the semester. And I started to think okay, I go to class on campus, I work on campus, I generally hang out on campus, and I live on campus at a seminary. Where in the world am I going to find someone to have an evangelistic conversation with? So I decided, I'm going to get this homework done, and here's how I'm going to do it. Every single conversation I have with a stranger, any small talk at the coffee shop, anything, I'm going to force Jesus right into that conversation. I'm going to get this homework done. So one day I got a chance to try this. Uh, On my way to get my hair cut, I decided, hey, i got about 15 minutes of a captive audience. I'm going to share the gospel. Here we go. So I walk into the barber shop, and this poor, unsuspecting lady greets me shows me to her chair. And I sit down and she's asking me, well, how, how do you like your hair done? And I'm calculating, oh, hair, you mean Jesus' is hair? Here's Jesus. I'm trying to like, how can I get Jesus into this conversation, right? And so she asked me this question and everybody always asks, well, what do you do? And I knew when I answered this question, I was committed. I said, well, I'm a seminary student at the seminary right down the road. And oddly enough, she actually got really excited about that, which is weird because nobody goes out of their way to have interactions with seminary students, but she was excited, So she starts telling me about how she's Jewish and how she loves her religion and how she teaches at this parochial school in the area part-time. And I'm hearing like none of it. Because in my mind, I'm like, okay, the moment of truth is coming. It doesn't take that long to cut a guy's hair. i got to get ready. So as she comes to the end of kind of her spiel on why she likes religion, she asks me, so what do they teach you at that seminary? And the moment had arrived. And when it arrived, I realized something really important. I had not prepared anything to say. So I opened my mouth, and out came these words. And I think, I hope, Jesus, forgiveness, and sin were in there somewhere. But they may not have been. And as I left the barber that day, the only thing I could think was, thank God my professor wasn't here to see this. I would have failed right out of that class. Because I wasn't ready to say the one thing when I was asked. And as a result... Instead of listening to her, I spent the whole time worrying about what I was going to say, about what she was going to think of me, about how I was going to be received. Because sharing Jesus can be scary. And if, if you ever tried to do it before, maybe there are people in here who have had experiences similar to that. We just don't always know how we're going to be received. We're not always prepared. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who very well understand the fear of sharing Jesus. In fact, as an example, and there are many of these, But about a month ago, two underground house churches in Southeast Asia were raided. And everybody in attendance was taken to jail, regardless of their religious affiliation. And to this day, six of the church leaders that serve those house churches remain in custody with the charges of bringing about cult-like activity. In the same way, Christ Community has ministry partners all over the world for whom the task of sharing Jesus is a very, very high price. So, in the midst of all of this, how can we we be ready to say the one thing when it's time to say the one thing? How can we be ready to overcome our fear? Well, the good news is that we're not the first people in the history of the world to deal with the fear of sharing Jesus. In fact, our passage this morning tells us a story of a group of people who were so afraid of their religious enemies that they hid in a room and locked the door. But then they had an encounter in that room. And then they became some of the boldest sharers of Jesus the world has ever seen. Maybe you've been listening in this series and there's been a point where you've realized, I cannot share Jesus as well as Jesus did. I know, I felt that too. But our passage today shows us that we can share Jesus the way Jesus did. So if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 19. If you're using one of our community Bibles, it's right there on the top of page 590. So when we last left Jesus behind, he was, handing over, he was being handed over by Pilate to be crucified. And when that happened, all of his disciples, his closest followers, the guys who had been with him for three years, they ran and they hid in a room and they locked the door. As Jesus underwent the most painful, most humiliating, excruciating method of execution available in the day, The disciples realized, well, that could be us. So they ran, and they hid. The man that they had been sharing about, preaching about, telling everybody was the hope of the world, is now dead. So not only did they look incredibly stupid for pointing everyone to this guy, but they also realized that that could happen to us too. So sharing Jesus the way Jesus did is probably the farthest thing from their mind. So what happened in that room? that transformed them into bold sharers of Jesus. Well, John, who wrote this story, he was in the room. So he gives us a behind-the-scenes look at what happened. So as the disciples are huddled together, mourning the loss of their leader, wondering what in the world do we do next, all of a sudden there's an extra person there who says, peace be with you. And I gotta believe at that point, one of the disciples said, who didn't check the door? Peter, you had one job to do. But as they're in this confusion, the stranger holds out his hands, holds out his feet, and they see the holes where the nails went through that held him to the cross. But it could be just any crucified guy who rose again from the dead. So for good measure, he lifts up his shirt and shows the hole where the spear went into his side, used by a Roman soldier to prove he was dead. And he was dead. And yet here he is, their leader, their savior, Alive. And again he says, peace be with you. No, really, be at peace. I'm here. I'm alive. At which point they all celebrated, right? They started hugging, they sat around the table sharing stories of all the crazy stuff Jesus said. Hey, remember that, the water, the wine? That was a really fun day because the ministry's done, right? He's alive. The work is finished. Well, not for the disciples. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. Jesus, after showing them his scars, telling them to be at peace, says, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to go to work. Now it's your turn to be sent. And then he does something really weird. He breathes on them. This isn't in the Bible, I'm just speculating. But I've got to wonder, if there's a disciple there who thought, okay, Jesus, you've been dead for three days. I'm as happy to see you as the next guy, but until you brush your teeth or get some sort of mint going, I don't need you breathing all over me. I mean, what in the world is going on here? Well, there's another passage that can help shed some light on this. It's in the very first book of the Bible. We get to hear all about how God created the world, and specifically about how God created Humanity. So listen as I read Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. See, God forms with the dust. He forms this body, but it's just a body until he breathes into it. And then Adam becomes alive. And he begins to function the way he was created To function. So when John is retelling the story, he picks that word very specifically because all of his Jewish readers would immediately think of this creation story. John needs us to understand this theme because it is the answer to why the disciples and why we can share Jesus the way Jesus did. And this is it we can share Jesus the way Jesus did because Jesus has breathed the Holy Spirit into us. When Jesus breathes on his disciples, he tells them to receive the Holy Spirit and they come alive spiritually in the same way that Adam comes alive physically when the Father breathes into him. This is it right here. This is the experience. This is the encounter that changes these disciples from a bunch of scared guys hanging out in a locked room to some of the boldest proclaimers of the gospel the world has ever seen. Which means... If you have the same Holy Spirit in you, and if you're a Christian, you do, you already have everything you need to share Jesus just as boldly as the disciples did. Because it's only through the, the power of the Holy Spirit that we can listen well. He'll illuminate our ears. He'll help us to understand what people are saying. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are free from needing to win arguments or debate people into our way of thinking, but can actually listen to them, actually care about what they have to say. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we have the courage to overcome our fear and share Jesus the way Jesus did. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can see that fear for what it really is. Don't get me wrong. All that stuff we're worried about happening could actually happen. We could get laughed at. We could get yelled at. We could get kicked out of friend groups. We could become the butt of the joke at the Thanksgiving table or the water cooler. Our brothers and sisters all around the world, and this could someday be true for us, face the real threat of persecution. They could lose their jobs, their families, their physical health, or even their lives. Those things can happen. But the Holy Spirit shows us That no matter what happens in this life, what waits for us is a resurrection into a perfect, unending life, worshiping the Father. As Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit upon his disciples, they look upon him and they see the fate that waits for them. It's trouble in this world, but it's resurrection into eternal life. So you might be thinking, well, that all makes sense in my head, but does it actually work? Show me that it actually works. Okay, I will. One of the guys in this room, his name is Peter. A lot of you know Peter. He's probably most famous, or at least partly most famous, for the fact that he denied Jesus three times the night Jesus stood trial, because he was terrified that that was going to happen to him, too. So when people said, um, I'm pretty sure you were with Jesus. You, have, you talk like him. You're from where he's from. You were with Jesus. Not once, but three times he says, no, I tell you, I am not with Jesus. In fact, the third time, just to make sure people get the message, he throws in a bunch of words that John couldn't even include in his gospel and keep his PG rating. It was really bad stuff. And they didn't have the bleep out technology at this time. Peter is trying to make sure people know he is not with Jesus. So how is Peter affected by the power of the Holy Spirit? Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 5. It's just a couple pages to the right. I don't know how that works if you have an electronic device. Just keep scrolling, and you'll get to it. Acts chapter 5. Peter and the other disciples have been preaching Jesus all throughout Jerusalem, so much so that the same leaders who who charged Jesus with blasphemy, who had him crucified, are now hunting them down and arresting them. So they arrest Peter and the disciples, and they bring him on trial. Listen to what happens. Acts chapter 5. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter, who? Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times because he was afraid of these high priests? Yeah, that Peter. Who, Peter, the one who went and hid in a room and locked the door because he was afraid of these high priests? That Peter. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Jump down to verse 40. They had called in the, When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they, the disciples, they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What in the world makes a person go from being so terrified of what other people will think of him and what his religious enemies will do to him that he denies Jesus three times and then goes and runs and hides to a person who stands before the very authorities he's terrified of, preaches the gospel boldly to them, is persecuted for it, and rejoices that he was persecuted. What makes that happen in a person? Well, it's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This encounter that Peter had with Jesus in that locked room full of terrified disciples, it changed him. It changed him. He saw the resurrected Savior. He received the Holy Spirit, and he went from denying and hiding to preaching and being persecuted. This is what the Holy Spirit's presence does for us. Because he is with us, we can share Jesus the way Jesus did. But we still haven't covered the one thing that we need to be ready to say, so let's turn there now. After giving the Holy Spirit, Jesus sends the disciples out with a task. And we can see that task in verse 23, which says this, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So wait, is this verse saying that Jesus gives Christians the ability to forgive sins or withhold forgiveness, like the final ability. If you're like me and you know enough Christians, that's probably a really scary thought. Um, so I spent a lot of time looking at this verse this week. Um, I studied the work of people who are a lot smarter than me, who are really uh, into this, the language and everything, and I've discovered several compelling reasons why um, this is not, the English translation is not really capturing what John is trying to say. I don't have time to get into all of them, or I won't bore you with all of them, it's probably a better way to put it, but let me just highlight one. The verbs that are translated here, they are forgiven, and it is withheld, or in a special verb case that um, denotes status rather than action. So in other words, for those to whom you preach forgiveness, if they receive it, they are forgiven. They stand forgiven. In addition, the fact that these verbs are in the passive voice, usually in the New Testament, denotes that God is the one doing the acting. So, what Jesus is tasking the disciples with is not to be the final authority in forgiveness of sins, but to be the ones who preach forgiveness. And those who receive that message, who respond to the gospel, they are forgiven because of what God has done for them. So the task of the disciples, which is our task as well, is to preach forgiveness. So let's get really practical now. Now is the moment where we're going to figure out what the one thing is that we need to be ready to say. Let me say a couple things up at the top. First of all, this is not a magic bullet. This isn't going to solve every uh, objection someone has to following Jesus. This isn't something we say to dismiss those objections, but this is something we say as the answer to all the questions, all the needs, all the fears that someone might have. Also, remember that this is the eighth week of the series so seven weeks of listening bring us to the one week of speaking. It's only in the context of a relationship forged over weeks of listening that we are ready to say the one thing. Okay, have I built it up enough? Here's the one sentence. You ready? I believe Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's it. I believe Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead doesn't matter if you're talking to someone who is skeptical, satisfied, religious, an outcast, indifferent, grieving, or a relativist. No matter what area of life someone is approaching you from, the one thing that they need to hear about Christianity is that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. That's not so bad, is it? Look, here's the good news. You don't need to have a perfect defense for everything about the Christian worldview in order to share Jesus the way Jesus did. You don't have to know exactly how science and the Bible interact you don't have to have figured out why bad things happen to good people and vice versa. You just need to be able to say that you believe Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. In fact, can hang with me for a second on this one. You don't even need to be able to convince someone that the Bible is God's word. Not yet. And here's why. For the first at least 300 years of the church... They didn't have what we refer to as the Bible. They didn't have this book. They didn't go to church in the morning and you know, turn to John 20. That's what we're talking about today. They didn't have any of that. But what they did have was testimonies from the eyewitnesses of everything Jesus had done testimonies from guys like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who ended up writing the Gospels, testimonies from guys like Peter and James, who was Jesus' brother, the guys who were in this room with Jesus who saw the resurrected Savior, who saw his scars, who heard his voice, who saw his face, they were there. They saw it. And they started telling everybody about it. And they ended up, most of them, dying for it. Listen to how one commentator puts it. The resurrection of Jesus, not anything else, but the resurrection of Jesus was the immutable fact upon which their faith was based, the earliest Christian's faith. And their faith in large part depended on the testimony and transformed behavior of those who had actually seen the resurrected Jesus. And they gave their lives for this. Not because of what they believe. Not because of what they heard. Not because of what they read somewhere. But because of what they saw. So when you are out there saying, I believe Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead and someone says to you, well, you just believe that because it's in the Bible. I mean, that's not very fair. You say, no, no. I believe Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead because the people who saw it happen say it happened. Not because my parents told me, not because my pastor told me, or because I read it in a book, but because the people who saw it happen say it happened. And they died saying it. So when you're listening to someone who's skeptical, make sure that they're skeptical about the right thing first, about the fact that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. We'll figure out the other stuff later. When you're listening to someone who is satisfied with the things of this life, make sure that they can see the better life that is offered to them because Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. When you're listening to someone who is religious, who thinks they're good enough as they are, they don't need saving, ask them to think about why Jesus felt the need to die for their sins and rise from the dead. When you're listening to someone who thinks they are an outcast, they have gone too far, they've done too much, show them a God, show them Jesus who died for their sins, even their sins, and rose from the dead. When you listen to someone who is indifferent about the things of God, show them a God who is so passionate about them that he died for their sins and rose from the dead. When you listen to someone who is grieving a terrible loss, grieve with them. But when the time is right, show them that their grief does not have to be without hope because Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. When you are talking just listening to someone who is a relativist, who believes all truth is relative and we ought to embrace whatever truth system works for us, show them the best, best truth system there is, which is that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. It's the one thing we need to be ready to say. And we believe it because the people who saw it happen say it happened. Okay, I just want to dream out loud about this for one second, and then I'll be done. What would it look like if a whole city, if our city, was sold out for Jesus? Amen. Amen. What would it look like if this whole city loved the people Jesus loved the way Jesus loved them? What would it look like if God did a surprising work in this city and people came to him in droves? It would change the way we do everything. It would change the way we do business. Change the way we do politics. Change the way we do community development. Change the way we interact with the poor and vulnerable and oppressed in our city. Do those things need to be changed? And it would start because a small group of people were committed to sharing Jesus the way Jesus did. That small group of people, that could be us. I want that for us, for our church. I want that for our city. Do you want that too? If so, then let's be committed together as we go out this week, as we close this series, to sharing Jesus the way Jesus did knowing that with the Holy Spirit, we can. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us alone in this great task, but that you have given us your Holy Spirit by whose power we can share Jesus the way Jesus did. God, there's nothing special about us that makes us good at this or prepared for this, anything other than the fact that you have sent the Holy Spirit with us. So help us today, Lord, as we go out to interact with our friends, with our coworkers, with our family members, with our neighbors, to listen, to do the work of listening, to know the people well and to care for them. And when the time is right, to say the one thing to share Jesus the way Jesus did. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.